you're listening to Between the Laughs, the podcast that thinks it's not enough to simply watch and enjoy comedy. We must also analyse every inch of it like it's a GCSE English anthology. <laughs> I'm Rob Cowan in Manchester and I'm joined by Paul Brunger on the other side of Manchester, Mike Techman in Brighton and Sarah Moore in London. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hey, uh, how are you all? Good. I liked your introduction, Rob. Thank you very much. <laughs> that, that wasn't the same as last time, was it? It changes every time. Ah, that was a good one. Much better than last time. I think so. Yeah. Every episode, one of us picks a comedy to watch. We all watch it, and then we have a chat about it. Then at the end, we have a little competition called I've Got 99 Sitcoms, But This Pitch Ain't One, in which our comedy connoisseurs pitch their sitcom ideas around an algorithmically generated synopsis. So, as the UK half arsedly lurches towards the end of lockdown two, I've been thinking about how our favourite sitcom characters uh, would cope with being confined to home for months. Um, the, the first one I could think of, really, that, that this would apply to would be Kramer. I think Kramer from Seinfeld, <laughs> he would probably be fine, but I reckon he would probably form a bubble with Jerry without telling Jerry first. So, so Jerry's kind of locked in this bubble where he can only interact with with Kramer, but Kramer's fine because he can go, come and go from Jerry's fridge as, as often as he wants. I think you would then find out that he's, Kramer's in a number of, of two household bubbles. He's definitely in one with Newman. Oh, for sure, yeah. Newman, Newman would be very annoyed, actually, if, if, he, if he's in an exclusive bubble with Jerry. Likewise, I think George uh, Costanza would be, would be pretty uh, annoyed as well. He wanted to form a bubble with... Uh, with Jerry, but Jerry was already taken, and, and Elaine presumably has formed a bubble with that on-off boyfriend who um, who she hates. George is a, he's everyone's second choice bubble, but he's yeah, a backup so he's going to end up with his parents. He's a backup bubble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a, I think I think this is a, the perfect situation actually for a Seinfeld comedy. I was thinking all all, all of it through in the shower this morning, and getting uh, so if only Seinfeld had, <laughs> <laughs> only Seinfeld had come along, sort of. Uh, 25 years later. No, well, there's got to be later. there's got to be no. a get rich quick scheme in there as well. He's got to be he's got to be selling his homemade homebrew vaccine, I think. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Kramer's Kramer's uh yeah, he's he's selling PPE out of his, out of Jerry's flat. <laughs> he's got got a big contract from Boris. Yeah. <laughs> Huge fee, got, 20 uh, million pounds. <laughs> I can imagine that he's like uh he's invented a new sort of mask that you can eat through, but it's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, so I think Kramer would be quite happy with lockdown. I think I think George would absolutely hate it because he's he's having to live with his parents and he's probably wishing covid upon them. Um who else? Other sitcom. We don't have to just talk about Seinfeld. We've got our contractually no. obliged Seinfeld reference in now. I think one of my favourite sitcoms is is Black Books, and I strongly suspect most of the characters in that wouldn't notice. I don't oh, think Bernard Black yeah, would notice I, there was a lockdown on. I mean, I the, think the shop would be quieter. Well, it, would it? Because because <laughs> print 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 books are dead anyway, aren't they? Yeah. Amazon's put paid to him long before coronavirus has. Fran might know next door. There might be fewer customers for tat. <laughs> But, but definitely not for books. I mean, Amazon wasn't even around and they were already being put out of business. <laughs> like, yes. by Waterstones. I was I was thinking about black books and uh, I think, you know, as long as he can still get his wine, I think he's probably fine. I suppose in general, um, characters from sitcoms spend a lot longer in their homes than, than anywhere else, don't they? Because when they go, <laughs> Very true. go to another set, um, those episodes tend to be quite crap. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're all trapped in a situation, and some of those situations yeah. are, are open under the three-tier system, and some are not. <laughs> I think lockdown would be pretty bad for Last of the Summer Wine, because obviously they're all in high risk, high risk group. They're all shielding. Yeah. Does the does the outdoor exercise uh, exemption cover rolling down the hill in a bath? It absolutely does. It's fine, is it? That's okay. Yeah. I was thinking about parks and recreation, um, and I feel like Ron Swanson's going to be fine with lockdown because he hates everyone. <laughs> he goes in the woods. He's got. He's got. He's got. A, yeah. He's got several log cabins in the woods. He's can make himself another canoe. He's absolutely sorted. I think Andy's having a great time because he can just sit on the sofa and play video games uh, and eat snacks. I think it probably triggers Ben to go into another depressive episode where he creates like a Cones of Dunshire sequel uh, complete with a, uh, a mini- miniature um, claymation Cones of Dunshire uh <laughs> advertisement and uh, instructional video and I think obviously Leslie Note would completely lose her shit oh she'd she would be, hate it yeah yeah she'd be having a, having the worst time uh, in fact I wouldn't even like to watch it I think Leslie would do some really positive stuff though Leslie would be like Rob in lockdown um, <laughs> like pulling together um, podcasts um, volunteering for vaccine schemes. I feel like she would she would definitely hold everyone else to a strict regime of Zoom catch-ups. Yeah. A lot yeah, of Zoom gonna quizzes be a lot of, with Leslie Nope. Yeah. yeah. Be, oh, it'd be relentless, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I think she'd be she'd be very she'd be very um conflicted between her desire to um follow guidance and do what's right and what's what's gonna be safer for everybody in the community and her like despair and not being able to get kind of physical contact with people because she is uh she is one of tv's biggest huggers she'll definitely though get caught out especially if she's on the city council at the time she'll get caught out in what what is quite a, a well-meaning situation but somebody will take a photo of her a bit like when nancy pelosi went to the hair salon and didn't wear a mask um and and it'll be a scandal and, and the dentist will jump all over it in fact the dentist will probably yeah. set it up Jam, should get jammed. Yeah, yeah. An office comedy is going to be hard to to, to make over Zoom. Uh, like be the, the, yes. the, watching them try and get go about their their jobs is going to be tricky. Pam and Jim flirting over Zoom, <laughs> creating their own little breakout rooms. Yeah. Um, I feel like. Do you remember sort of really early? Lockdown, that stage where it was apparently acceptable to have a drink every day. Yeah, according yeah. to Twitter, uh, yeah. And that's, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that, uh, I mean, def- definitely my... evenings at least Liver. was acceptable. Uh, I, yeah. I'm not sure Marcella from Game Face would ever get past that stage of lockdown. I think she's permanently in that. <laughs> and I think right she goes on her. to regret. I'm, yeah. I think she was I'm doing 100% that before right lockdown. <laughs> she was. <laughs> yeah. I think she'd go on to I sort think... of look... Uh, longingly at all the guidance that the Dutch government did that, you know, you're allowed a sex buddy in lockdown and things like that. <laughs> I think she would be very cross that she wasn't, that Boris had not let her have a sex buddy. <laughs> She'd be setting up online petitions. <laughs> <laughs> Strongly lobbying for either that or for driving lessons to be exempt, even if you've already passed your test. Don't forget to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or however else you consume your podcasts. Uh, We'll also do social media with a variety of 
Inconsistent Handles. You can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at Between Laughs, Facebook.com slash Between The Laughs, or email us at Between The Laughs at gmail.com. We do actually have an angry review. Uh, I know I wanted a funny review, but we have really? received an angry review. Yeah, so okay. so uh, basically, uh, Silly English Knight or... Canadians, Canadians. Like, in, uh, like in Monty Python. Oh, yes, that's it. Right. Okay, so, I wrote this. I didn't write this. So, <laughs> I, guess I mean, you seem to know a lot about it, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, he, came for the, he came for an always sunny review and left because he was looking for a specific thing. He couldn't find the specific thing he was listening out for. So, he left a review instead, but he didn't specify what that thing is. So, English, silly English Knigget, if you are listening, and I suspect you're probably not I think we've lost him but if you are can you let us know please uh, what thing you were looking for and we'll see about whether we can do an episode about that thing Um, (laughs) get in touch with us at Between Laughs on on Twitter and Instagram or Between The Laughs on Facebook Between The Laughs at gmail.com this time it was Sarah's turn to choose our comedy and she chose The Detectorists a BAFTA winning BBC4 comedy that ran for three seasons from 2014 to 2017 Written by and starring Mackenzie Crook, this gently dark comedy follows the fortunes of two metal detectors, sorry, metal detectorists in rural Essex. Sarah, why did you pick The Detectorists? Well, we, Hugh and I, watched The Detectorists at the beginning of lockdown, um, and we haven't seen any of it before, so we watched the whole lot. Um, and I just absolutely loved it, um, and it was such a sort of gentle, lovely... Um, thing to watch um especially at that time when Mm. um the world had kind of gone to shit a little bit um and I was due to have a baby any day um and it was just really nice to watch something so so gentle and uh heartwarming um and it was one of those programs a bit like how I felt about game face at the end when I was really sad to say goodbye to the characters when Mm. when we got to the end um I just really thoroughly enjoyed it um so yeah, so that was that was why I chose it. Great, yeah. I mean, it is obviously very gentle, but it it's sort of I don't know. I, I wouldn't kind of categorize it with kind of really nice gentle comedy. There is a certain there's an edge to it. Well, I mean, as my lovely wife said, it's light last the summer wine, except someone says. Do they? But it can't be that gentle. Yeah, <laughs> in the first series, someone uh, someone drops a C bomb. <laughs> That's really? more than you. I'm not going to that beer. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was out of my mind on MDMA, but I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> there it is in episode five. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's when um, it's when Lance is talking to um, Sophie, um, and they're talking about. Lance being asked to bail out his ex-wife and she says well, why doesn't a new fella do it and Lance says because he, he's a c-. oh I do remember that <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. I, I never expected this episode of Between the Laughs to be the one where I had to put uh, an iTunes explicit content flag on yeah edit out, edit out the last 10 times we've just <laughs> said but it's yeah. almost like if it's not gentle it's definitely affectionate isn't it, it, it mm, like yeah. you you do like them and I completely agree with Sarah that I, I, I am normally the first person to say look just make it funny I don't care whether Ross and Rachel get together I don't 
care whether whether the people you know the office will they won't they story resolves but i definitely i mean i i cared about this i i can't think of a character recently that i've hated more than than lance's ex-wife and a new yeah. i really wanted him yeah. to get completely yeah. shot of them i think yeah. it's true what they say that, that he is a but she is as well yeah she absolutely is yeah. um i i think interestingly the bit that i sort of the one bum note in it for me was um actually the love story between uh andy and becky yeah um, mm. and i don't know i just she just didn't um sort of ring true for me i think he's definitely punching isn't he <laughs> well I, in a sense, but I just felt she never really she didn't seem to sort of like him terribly much or no. or get him um and i just sort of um, it, it was always the point that throughout the first series we were saying, I can't wait until you know Becky has her undoing and, and they get rid of that character because I was so sure mm. that um, oh, wow. there was something sort of dark about her. Oh, I really, I really liked it. I thought, I thought he was doing very well for himself, and I, I wondered as to how sustainable it was. But um, I thought, I, I thought she was very funny. More than uh, how nice she is to him, though. I feel like there's obviously some history that we've not been party to that has meant that they get together and quite like each other, but now they've settled into that stage of the relationship where she just relentlessly takes the piss out of his his nerd hobby. <laughs> Which, you know, fair enough, he is a metal detectorist. I think, I think I just had some problems with the performance, to be honest. I think the Becky character could have worked, but... It, the, the performance made her feel a bit incongruous and kind of harsh. I think maybe because she had quite a posh clipped accent and the rest of them all got adorable regional accents. I've got a fun fact for you. Um, in I think you see her in season two, one of the episodes I watched the other day, uh, you meet um, her mother, played in the show by Dame Diana Rigg of Game of Thrones. Mm. The actor for Becky is the real-life daughter of Diana Rigg. Well, she didn't pass on her acting genes, in my opinion. <laughs> Savage. I, I, I almost thought with Becky, it's interesting because the whole, the whole thing is this like really affectionate look at this incredibly nerdy kind of subculture, and she's probably the yeah. one that's most outside of that. Because even the other people who are a bit outside of that, like, like the uh, like Lance's ex-wife, um, are weird in their own right. And she's she's almost yeah. the the most normal person, yeah. Um, but then part of that is a bit of her sort of going, "Oh, you lovable nerds!" But I I thought she did like him. I like I like the I, I particularly like Lance's and uh, Lance and Andy's relationship on screen. I think that's I think they've got just a really lovely uh, warm amount of affection for each other. That you know. Uh, Lance is more willing to show than Andy is, but they're both, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the particularly around, you know, when uh, when Andy's around Lance's house and he's listening to play him play his mandolin and sing the song about his ex-wife, and you get you can see him sort of choking up a little bit. Uh, I thought that was, I think that's a really nice um, relationship that they've got. Yeah, they've got that kind of. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole show really is is a kind of reflection on. Kind of male relationships and and how mm. they don't say they all tell each other what they're really thinking, what they're really up to, but the, there's that deep kind of care between them. 
And I think, and I think you see how dependent they are on each other because the, the the bit where they've fallen out in the first series, and Lance is trying to have his Andy conversations with his guy at work, where he talks about university challenge. Yeah. <laughs> with the guy at work and it's and it is really painful because it is someone from that sort of niche subculture trying to take it to someone outside of that who is yeah has much more mainstream you know uh, view of the world and watching it just fall flat and that is really heartbreaking yeah. and po- po- probably because you know i've i've been there and seen that and and whatever but you can relate to it and go, oh yeah this is what happens when you think maybe this will work oh this hasn't worked this yeah. hasn't worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love i love some of the sort of more whimsical elements as well you know um with the sort of the kind of nutty man who's land there on thinking yes yeah invisible talks we were talking here would it have been, we couldn't work out whether we wanted the two dogs that turn up at the end of the first series to actually be as dogs that yeah. have been referred to throughout, or or is it better that they are, in fact, new dogs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 100% better than new dogs. The fact that he's just been hallucinating two dogs for the whole time and 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 andy just is (laughs) aggressively ignoring it (laughs) because it means he's capable of seeing and and interacting with real dogs um but for a while he's he's had he's had invisible ones and they've been lost because that's the funny thing is because uh lance and andy were meant to be looking after those invisible dogs when he was in prison briefly and they failed to they let them out they've escaped so he had to get some new yeah. dogs, which are real. It's it's no. The, it's, dogs, uh, the dogs are equally really well visible before and after they are dog sitting, them, <laughs> except to him, where before they were there, yeah. and now they're very much not there. Yeah, <laughs> I really like the uh, the other characters in the in the metal detecting group as well. There's kind of a yes. there's kind of a spectrum. Quite in quite a lot of cases, they're quite well worn comedy uh, stereotypes. You've got the really boring man who runs things and has a big moustache. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah, and you've got the weird, uh, the weird one with the big thick glasses, and you've got the the young lad who doesn't know what he's doing, but they're still good. You know, you, you feel like you've seen these characters yeah. before, but but they uh, they all kind of fit in nicely. And it's, I think the whole pace, the pace of the whole show is so slow that yeah, you know, you, no one, no, you can't get angry with anyone. You can't you can't get angry with the no. show because it's all just so laid back. Uh, I just saying it's got the things that I like about Country File, where you're just watching some <laughs> people walk around, and it also has the thing. I don't know if any of you have been watching, um, watched any of uh, Mortimer and uh, White House go, Gone Fishing. Oh yeah, that's what it reminds me yes, of as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and that's so. just a fabulous show. That's like these just just two two men who are friends having a bit of a laugh, going out into some nature, pissing around, and. Uh, yeah, it's got that. It's got that. It makes it's just very watchable when you've been trapped in a in a room all day, staring at one screen, and have just trans- translated yourself into another room to look at a different screen for a bit. It, <laughs> it, 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 kind of... A much nicer screen, and there's so much outdoors. Yeah, nice yes. scenery. It's you know, it's kind of and the theme tune. It can we say is bloody amazing oh, as well. It's gorgeous. I've had that stuck in my head all all week. It's Johnny Flynn, yeah, isn't it? We've been listening to the album here ever since. It's great. I was worried when he turned up in this and he was at the pub talent night 
And I just thought yeah. I, I had such a feeling really of impending dread that they were going to be what, terrible. Cameo. Especially because like they've had to follow him and they clearly look worried yeah. about it. And you've never really seen yeah. them do it. And there's a sort of a bit of an assumption that it's going to be played mega for laughs and they're going to be awful. But actually, they're, you know, they're perfectly fine. And it's... it's really, oh, Toby Listen. Jones does look like Kermit when he's playing the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> other but, than that, but, you know, it's odd, but it's perfectly fine. And that's yeah. kind of what they are as people. His concept of like that thing where he can only sit cross-legged and he's like been raised up like a, like a yogi <laughs> Giant or something. cushion, yeah. <laughs> it's so great. And I love that one of, my, one, of the, one of the lines in the second verse of that song is something like... Uh, You've been shared around like a tear and share bread or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And I think this is really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the the thing with the other guys in the in the club as well is it is this whole thing of it's such a it's such a niche that you don't have someone like when we talked about like the study group uh, from community. And there's no Jeff, who's actually a real-world no. cool person as part mm. of this. Everyone fits in that group, and it's such a niche that no one is quite fully formed. They've all got a bit of a thing, but you can put them together, and you know they'll have a lovely time. And it's even quite self-aware, because they have their bit at the start where they're talking about how there's going to be a talk about buttons. Yeah, uh, And Lance and Andy are like, oh, for f- there's going to be a talk about buttons. They still go to the talk. I mean, it's partly because they want to meet yeah. a girl, but yeah. they very much still go to the talk about buttons. And you just think, yeah, you. I knew from the moment you mentioned that, no matter how much scorn you put on it, you were going to be at that talk. Did um, when did people realise that Sophie was siding with the uh, the other detectress group? The antique researchers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the antique researchers. How how many? In metal detectorists are in this town. That's the bit that kills me as well. It's one of these sort of yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a town with feasibly one Saxon uh, site, maybe. And uh... well, it's a town. It's a town with two pubs and an equal number yeah. of metal detectorist clubs. <laughs> but I think I think to, to your question, Sarah, I thought I I felt like I got that quite early on because there's enough stuff that you think well only she could be in a position to have blown their cover to the yeah. antique researchers. So I, I felt like I I did know that quite early on. Um, but yeah, you're kind of I all right with that. It's you know the pace of it is nice enough that I think you can Yeah. I don't I, think, I don't think that feels like a spoiler. Yeah, I think you could see it coming a mile off. But yeah. um what I really liked was the way they handled it ultimately that it wasn't it wasn't like Sophie then became the enemy yes. or anything like that. Mm. It wasn't there was nothing too heavy about it. Um and that was all resolved quite quickly. Yeah. And I mean, quite how she thought that was going to pan out, that she was going to be a nice spy. I don't yeah. quite know how she didn't realise that, but I'm glad that's where they sort of, they found that third way that, yes, she knew she was keeping an eye on them, but she didn't approve of of Simon and Garfunkel's evil master plan. I think, yeah. I, think, I think I just, I love the absurdity of how seriously it's being taken. And you can get, and it it is absurd in a comedy sense, but also... Uh, you can totally imagine this group of mainly men yeah. who are really into metal detectoring, who are really, you know, have this re- this rivalry with a, with a local metal detectorist group that is not up to their standards, and, and <laughs> you know, they're the ones who are going to find the coke cans in that field and not not. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
going to find those Matchbox cars. But yeah. Because they're all yeah. such big dogs in their own world. Because like yeah. the guy, the guy who uh, is is head of the club, and he and he resigns because he thought he's gone soft because he stood on a bomb. Yes. Uh, but then he, but then <laughs> he comes crazy. back and makes himself. Then he makes himself chairman again because he doesn't like what everyone else is doing with it. <laughs> yeah. And like this is absolute and. Toby Jones is the the character Toby Jones really reminds me of uh, is Garth Marenghi because he's just the the sort of level of love he's got for himself and his sort of things and he you know he'll tell the same story umpteen times and he'll do his battle axe joke and even just little things like I love um, I didn't even notice them at first but my my lovely wife pointed out to me the photos in his flat that he's got that are just pictures of his car. Like, can you imagine yeah. just having photos of oh, your car in your flat? This car's such a funny little thing. Anyway, it's not... It's that yellow... It's yellow, sort of weird, kind of back to it's the It's not like a classic car. kind of... Uh, <laughs> classic car, is it? I do think as well, I like that Lance and Andy... Um, do, we, do we find out what Andy's job is? He, well, he's, he's got several temp. jobs, hasn't he? He's, he's agency working, doing that's right because he doesn't have because printing it, lines. By season two, he's he's, he's unemployed, and, and Lance is um, is obviously he's a potato kind of forklift truck mover man. Yeah, he moves yeah. potatoes from one one spot to another. Uh, but they're both so clearly intellectually beyond beyond that. But you know yeah. they've not had they've not had opportunities, so they. They're not they fulfilled instead, in their work, are they? So they get not, fulfilled in detectorist. Exactly, but all, and also in in kind of obscure knowledge. It's exactly the kind of person yeah. you meet at a pub quiz. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he'll, he'll yeah, know that ninety five percent of onions are consumed uh, domestically. <laughs> he, yeah, um, that's absolutely true. I think Andy's Andy's uh, studying for a degree of some sort, though, isn't he? He's um, he does archaeology, doesn't he? Because um, yeah. he becomes an archaeologist. One question I did have that I couldn't work out which side of the argument I fell on. Does Mackenzie Crook, uh, as Andy, look like a paedophile, as he's accused no. of in the programme? That's not my question. Didn't they establish <laughs> no, that he doesn't look like a paedophile, but more like a drug dealer? Yeah, I was going to say, he looks more like a junkie than to me. Uh, you know, he looks like he could be hanging out with the people from Trainspotting quite easily. I mean, he doesn't look a million miles away from George Bestial in the Viz, I thought, which is probably worse than all of the above. I, I do, I do like. I think that's a nice example, actually, of that little scene where the the police community support officer uh, comes yeah. out concerned that that he's hanging around outside of primary school. I think that's a, a lovely illustration of what I mean by this kind of edge to such a gentle yeah. show. Yet they're making this quite this joke about about a paedophile hanging think- outside this primary school. That, that's one of the ways the show really works for me because it's gentle and slow paced, but they they make time in every episode for for some just jokes, just like mm. just yeah. the, this is a section where there's just going to be some jokes, you know, uh, like the bit where he serves a bland meal and <laughs> and um, stuff like that, where it's just like proper kind of traditional sitcom jokes, but the the dialogue is just a lot more. Um, it's a lot less like you wouldn't be able to put a laugh track on it if you see what I mean. I know exactly what you mean, and I had a sort of similar conversation with my husband about it when we were really enjoying it and laughing. Um, but sort of, it was quite hard to pinpoint what it was that mm. had made us laugh. You know, it would be a turn of phrase or some sort of observation that was just you really hit yeah. the spot without being obvious at all. 
Yeah, it's not enormously and, quotable or anything like that, is no. it? It's just, yeah. it's almost, you wouldn't put a laugh track on it because that's, you're laughing along with all these other people. Whereas actually what they want is for you to be, you know, the third person at the table with them in the flat, having yeah. their, their bland surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the surprise? It's, it's, it's very surprisingly bland. bland. <laughs> yeah, it's surprisingly bland. Oh, that is bland. I wish you hadn't told me. I think it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's lovely. And it's, um, and the, the, everything's so deadpan. Um, yeah. yeah. And just sold that that's, you know, who they are. And like, you, I think, I, I think that Andy is meant to be kind of ironic and funny and sort of self-aware of all this stuff because of the way he talks to his wife about things. But it yeah, is one of those things where, where uh, he's the funny one, but no one really laughs. His <laughs> things he says. I think the I think the two comedies are kind of reach for for comparison. Are obviously The Office because of Mackenzie Crook, and This Country because it has a guy who looks like Mackenzie yeah. Crook and it's in the countryside. Um, <laughs> is that what you're thinking? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a yeah. theme. Um, but um, it, both of both of those, I think, get a lot of their comedy from kind of awkward situations and cringeworthy situations, especially The Office, I don't feel like that's where this gets its laughs from at all, really. It's no. the situations themselves, it's the absurdity of it, it's the loveliness of the characters and their own banter. Like you say, yeah, there's, there's, things that are, there's things that are phrases as well that are not jokes. I think, Sarah, you were saying, like, I think the bit where Farmer Bishop comes out and says, one of you bastards has stolen my telephone. And that's funny. <laughs> it's not a joke, but it's funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What was what was everyone's funniest bit? Because mine absolutely was Andy's Power Rangers metal detector at the end of series one. Yes, <laughs> that says it's morphing time every time it detects anything. <laughs> I think for me it was more of an overall feeling, um, and kind of yeah, it felt like laughing along with some some friends affectionately i think rather than like you say rather than being something quotable yeah although i've just thought of one thing that i did think was funny although i i can't imagine the opportunity will ever come up for me to use it as a quote but where um where andy's gone round to becky's house uh mum's house to try and get her back yeah um and he goes as if to sort of leave her with the photo. And she goes, well, yes. no, I'm good for photos of you kids and girls and women. <laughs> but then, and then, <laughs> then, then how he disposes of it. He's not, yeah, she won't let him recycle it in their bin. So he's got to go back and get it out of his mum, her mum's bin. <laughs> and this might be Brit bias, but it feels like you could only be on the BBC. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. feel like anyone's turning these out for a, a commercial channel. <laughs> I can't imagine an American, uh, American port of this. And, and BBC Four as well. Um, yeah, you know this is <laughs> this is comedy at, it, at its nichest. Yeah, it's perhaps the most BBC thing I've ever seen. Who would you cast if? Who do you think would be cast if they tried to make an American version of it? Oh, good question. Mackenzie Crook's got cross Atlantic appeal, hasn't he? Because he's a pirate. So they they put him in as as True. the kind of the the, the pin to draw in. You know, to, to to link it to the original. Yeah, and he's the writer as well, isn't he? So he is, yeah. So he'd cast himself. So that, but obviously, we're going. It would run for sort of seven seasons of twenty-four episodes. It's so dug <laughs> so, <laughs> up every trace of metal <laughs> in Essex. They've, they've obviously they can't discover Saxon ruins, but they've probably you know discovered 
some Native American, Native American burial ground, and yeah. then they, they get haunted, and the invisible dogs come out, and <laughs> yeah, I imagine. <laughs> I imagine there's not. Do they have detectorists in the states? Because I don't think that Native Americans had metal worked with metal that much. No, you probably. Because I, I assume that would be the same, but the equivalent of finding a historic thing is finding something from last Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a debate in season two, isn't there, about the people... There's this, this The German guy comes and, and uh, wants to find the, the plane that his grandfather crashed in during the war, and some of the detectorists turn their noses up at this because it's not real history. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Isn't, isn't the American equivalent probably panning for gold? Yeah. Mm. yeah, it is. It's yeah. probably true, actually. Yeah, I can totally imagine Mackenzie Crook in a program about uh, called like Panners, Panners, or <laughs> Pannerists. Or just because he looks a bit like Mackenzie Crook, um, latter day Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a great cast. Great casting <laughs> for a man yeah. that's as unique looking as Mackenzie Crook. There are now three different actors who look like Mackenzie Crook, including Mackenzie <laughs> yeah. Crook. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not sure you would include Mackenzie Crook because then that's everyone's on one, aren't they? That's well, yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you confused the art of simile, as uh, Stuart Lee would say. <laughs> you could probably get uh, maybe get uh, Nick Offerman in as, as Lance. Oh, yeah, that, that would work. work. Is he? I, but he's too he's too capable, Nick Offerman. You want you want someone who's properly thwarted, don't you? <laughs> George Costanza. Yeah, you want someone with a metal yeah, detector. Yeah, maybe the guy who plays Charles Boyle in um, in Brooklyn Nine. <laughs> yeah, he'd be good. I've found a load of reviews by American newspapers of of the Detectorist, and they love it. Do they love it because it's a British thing, or it, the, the the review opens with this is from the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, for those with, for those who worry with good reason that too many foreign-made TV shows are imitative of American television, well, as the saying goes, there will always be an England. And thank goodness oh. for that, for shows like The Detectorists, a unique delight about two middle-aged guys who fancy themselves archaeologists and spend most of their days scanning a particular field with metal detectors. That's it. That's the gist of the show. <laughs> I can imagine if you're if you're an American who likes... British comedy for being British comedy. Yeah, this is this is uh, what you know. This is like prime real estate. Uh, yeah, for that. it's it's um it's never going to get made in the states. It's never really going to get made anywhere else. It's uh it's got it's it's kind of got every, everything you want. It's quaint. It's in the countryside. People have got funny voices. It's uh, someone plays a mandolin. Like it's uh, <laughs> yeah. The Detectorists is available on. BBC iPlayer in the UK or on Acorn TV, if anybody knows what that is, in the US. Don't forget to share your thoughts on The Detectorists or any other show you'd like us to feature in future or in the past. Um, well, not a show that you'd like us to feature in the past, any show we have featured in the past. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Between Laughs. I don't really know how you... I suppose you can contact us on Instagram, can't you? Uh, Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs. And you can email us, send us an email, Between the Laughs at gmail.com. If enough people email us, I'll change it to something like Hello at betweenthelaughs.com. Finally, it's time for I've got 99 sitcoms, but this pitch ain't one. Before the show, I allocated our comedy experts a plot line produced by an algorithm. Um, I, as the commissioning editor of NBC Comedy, will cast judgment on them as they present their sitcom pitches to me. Basically, I'm looking for, uh, imagine it's 1994, Seinfeld has come to an end, uh, and in 
all these sitcom ideas are going to walk in, in through my door. One of them is Friends. So I'm looking for something that's going to be going to cause the space-time continuum to dart off in a different direction in which Friends isn't the huge hit, and instead a hit with the plot line of a pack of gorgeous villains cooks dinner for homeless people becomes the biggest hit show of the 90s. <laughs> so that's your plot line, guys. The, uh, a pack of gorgeous villains cooks dinner for homeless people. You each have 30 seconds, Mike, uh, to convince me to make your pilots. <laughs> uh, Sarah, you were last week's winner. So you get the privilege of going first this time. So a, a pack of gorgeous villains cooks dinner for homeless people. When you're ready, Sarah. Okay. So working title is Soup Kitchen Chic. Um, a group of famous Hollywood actresses played by Jennifer Aniston, Charlize Theron, Reese Witherspoon, etc. Um, get caught out participating in a tax evasion scheme led by their crooked accountant, Danny DeVito. They're forced to do community service in a soup kitchen overseen by reformed crook turned head chef um, and um, you might remember him from Garlic Breadline last week Robert <laughs> De Niro would play that part um, this is Sex in the City meets Orange is the New Black um, and yeah it, it could easily outdo Friends so Sex in the City meets Orange is the New Black um, I, I mean my first concern as, as an executive here at at NBC is budget. Um, obviously, if we, I mean, if we stick Jennifer Aniston, Charlize Theron, Reese Witherspoon, Danny DeVito, and Robert De Niro all in the same uh, sitcom, we're going to pull in the viewers. But I'm thinking they probably they're going to want about a million dollars each per episode, aren't they? So, I so reckon Aniston will. If this is pre-Friends, this is well, this is complicated now. The timeline, isn't it? But you're picking them, Rob. It's going to play out however you see fit. Well, exactly. So I'll arbitrarily choose a winner based on what <laughs> okay, I'm thinking yeah, at, that, okay. at that particular moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, huge cast. Like, I do... So so these guys, what have they done wrong, sorry? What was their reason for being in the community so service? They, they were participating in a tax evasion scheme Ooh. led by Danny DeVito, who was their crooked accountant. Oh, I like that. I think he'd do well as a crooked accountant. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically using his character from... Um, Always sunny, yeah. <laughs> Which might be the specific thing that our mystery listener is uh, is looking for. I don't know. Let's uh, let's go with Paul next. Uh, so I've I've taken your wording on face value. It talks about a pack of gorgeous villains. So my pack are uh, a pack of Ardman Animation Plasticine Lions. Um, they are cooking dinner for uh, a literally homeless. Uh, other set of Serengeti dwellers, which is a, a herd of wildebeest. So naturally, in the past, the lions and the wildebeest have not got on, uh, but now the, the lions are cooking them dinner and they're going to come around and they're going to talk uh, and they're going to come and kind of resolve some of those those tensions. Isn't a group of lions a pride, not a pack? pack of hyenas, isn't it? Yeah, but they're not gorgeous. I did think hyenas. Yeah. I've written hyenas here and I've crossed it out because they're not they're fairly ugly as animals I, go. I mean, that's something that the writing room can kind of argue over. My my other my main concern really is your homeless people are wildebeest. You know, they're migratory. They don't have a fixed home. Oh, I see. Okay, right. So you, you what you've done here is you've taken the, the plot line and you've you've um, Really run Give it my own unique twist. You have, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's worked for you every every week so far, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the critics would love this. 
Yeah. Um, I don't even. I, I don't. I don't remember <laughs> hearing a title, and of course, that's the thing I'm most interested. in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've. Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? I was thinking of calling it a pack of gorgeous villains cooked dinner for homeless people. Mm. Yeah, that's not going to win, though, is it? <laughs> what, what, what does that make the blindest bit of difference to the status quo? I'm not worried about that. There was a, there was a chance. I mean, it is, it is obviously it's, it's uh, less literal than Sarah's. Um, it is, um, it's going to be very different, animated, Ardman animation style claymation. It might be difficult to to make kind of 28 episodes a year. Um, okay, thank you for that, Paul. Right, Mike. I mean, have you thought about this in advance this time? Uh, while everybody else is talking, I... All right, good, <laughs> good, good. Okay, so before literally now, <laughs> uh, when you're ready. Okay, so there's a group of Conservative Party activists who are all competing to uh, be selected to run for a very safe Conservative seat. But in order to make themselves seem amenable to the public, the party has instructed them to set up a food bank, which they're going to use to fill, <laughs> uh, to, to feed the homeless. Uh, they're going to be played by uh, Vandal Snoot, Cucumber Patch, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Amir Shah. Uh, and it's going to be called Trickle Down Economics. Right. Uh, so they've set up the food bank. Where's the comedy coming from here? These is it is it it's going to be conservative party activists interacting yeah. with homeless people because the jokes write themselves so so that's what i mean is it going <laughs> to be yeah. is it going to be about the, the tory activists kind of tripping over themselves and uh being offensive to uh, to, uh, to the homeless people and not getting them and that sort of thing exactly and you know they'll be you know the first week one of them will spend all the money on uh three packs of caviar or something and uh there'll be nothing for everybody to eat and but surely uh, that's a that, that's a comedy of manners and realising you've done the wrong thing, whereas in the modern era, they would just go, well, yeah, tough. Yeah, well, I no do. fakes, get over it. I try to imagine a Conservative Party that thinks it can, uh, thinks that engaging with food banks would be a good thing to boost its support. This is, this is, this is like uh, probably Tony Blair era Conservative Party. This is, ah, this is Cameron's rebu- this is, rebuild. This is Cameron, nice tree Cameron's logo, that sort of thing. Yeah, they've, they've had a rebrand. Uh, Compassionate conservatism. Yeah, exactly. Hugger hoodie, all that sort of stuff. Um, where is the criminal element? They're Tories. They're Conservative Party uh, <laughs> activists. They're villains, not criminals. Oh, that's a good point, uh, yeah. Good okay, semantics, good. I like not, that. Not ruling out the option that they are uh, criminals, though. I'm sure they've, you know, committed some some fraud and, you know, all that <laughs> sort of thing, but nothing that anyone cares about. So, so, so again, you've taken it much more literally than uh, than Paul did, uh, similar to Sarah, really. Apart from your villains are less obviously gorgeous, perhaps. Any thoughts on who would be playing the homeless? Uh, Johnny Vegas. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably Rasheen Connerty. Yeah. Uh, oh, Trump card. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I should have made you one of the lions. I can't believe nobody has put Rasheen in yet. Mackenzie Cook. Mackenzie Cook, Daisy May Cooper. Cool. Oh, yeah, uh, Daisy May Cooper. Yeah, she'd make a great, great homeless. Let's, let's, let's cut to the chase here. Um, <laughs> I have to say, up until the moment we, you cast Johnny Vegas and Rasheen Connerty, I was leading towards the soup kitchen chic. Um, 
but I do quite like the idea of a, of, of Johnny Vegas and Roisin Connolly playing sassy homeless people interacting on a daily basis with pompous Tory would be MPs. So yeah. if you could come up with a better title, am I, am I working on the assumption you've discounted mine then from this discussion? <laughs> <laughs> Was that not obvious? Yeah, come up with a better title, and you'll get a, a writing credit if you want, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I haven't even got a good title for mine. <laughs> no, pride before a fall. Pride before a fall. That's what. Oh, yeah, that's good. All right, uh, no, that, that is good. That does. Good. I mean, still... it's not good enough to win. Let's no, let's face no, no, it. No. But... <laughs> so, so congratulations, Mike. You've got. Is this your fourth uh, commission now at NBC? So you've you've got your your work cut out. You can get Paul to help you. He's got plenty of spare time. Um, <laughs> Tune in, uh, tune in next time for uh, another edition of I've Got 99 Sitcoms, but there's Pitch in one. Uh, and Bloody indeed, hell. the rest of this podcast, Between the Laps, where we'll be looking at a different sitcom. I think next time, I believe we're going to be looking at this country because we like shows that have Mackenzie Crook lookalikes in the countryside. You've been listening to Between the Laps with me, Rob Cowan, him, Paul Brunger, him, Mike Techman, and her, Sarah Moore. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.